podcast contains explicit language and plot spoilers. My name is Charles R. Horgan. I'm a Purple Heart veteran and a lifelong movie nerd. Recently, I've noticed that my relationship with the most action-y of action films, the war film, has become complicated. So I'm exploring this genre with my childhood friend, Dr. Aaron Donaldson. What am I gonna do? I can't survive. Hi. Hi. Happy to be here. This is exciting. I'm happy to be here. This show um, was kind of a combination of a bunch of concepts that we've been putting together over the years. The gist of it is we've got a bunch of back episodes about each movie we're going to talk about, but today we're going to talk about the first three movies that we watched. And we picked formative movies, movies that were formative yes. for you, formative for me, and then like formative for the industry, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So we are first the first movie that we watched is the first war movie that I ever saw which is 1957's Stanley Kubrick Paths of Glory. Never seen that movie. We had a fascinating conversation about kind of like our expectations going in and what we got. Just incidentally the the foundational movie for me, the first movie that I'd ever seen was um 1987's uh, Glory, or sorry, 89 is when Glory came out. So you were Paths of Glory, and I was Glory. And you had seen Glory, but not for a really long time. And in each case, I think it's safe to say we both went in with fairly low expectations, and we both came out being like, that was a really good movie. Like, oh my, that was better than I anticipated, at the very least. And very different movies. Right. Oh boy. Yeah, that conversation's about to get really, really exciting. And the last third movie was formative for the industry. Do you want to just very briefly talk about... um, Yes, that is 1925 King Vidor's The Big Parade, which is considered by film historians to be the first realistic, in quotes, war movie. And this is depicting World War I. And I had seen this once a very long, long, long time ago. And Aaron, this is the first silent movie you had ever seen. Absolutely. What, and what did you think about this? And the, the back um, content that we have on the Patreon has a lot on how we talked about how you really have to pay attention in ways that benefit your listening and your watching that I had never appreciated the art form. It had always looked very mimey and it is mimey, but it has to be. And if you can just take off your, your, your pretense and get rid of your prior judgment of what you know that is in terms of like hokiness or campiness and just try to watch the performers of their time, that movie is two hours of just schlocky, sexist, weirdo nonsense. And, and, and like the, the war scene at the end just hits you like a train. It's just really, really amazing how they achieved that. We had some – and, and we're going to dig in today a little bit on like the spectacle – and we, one of the things we came out with that I really liked in that Patreon content was that, that Vidor in 1925 has a more Stanley Kubrick ending to a war movie than Stanley Kubrick himself does when it comes to the way the war is shot. Kubrick's shooting of, um, Paths of Glory's action sequence looks like a typical war movie. Whereas when the war starts in the big parade, you're taken to this weird, you called it expressionistic dystopia, right? Yeah, it was, it was, I feel unintentionally so, but, but it was, it was something about, I think our disconnect, I was thinking about this the other day while I was driving. It's like something about the disconnect between today and how we view films and the theatricality of silent film gives you this weird disconnect from, I think, the spectacle of it in sort of, I get, 
like a Brechtian way where it's, it's pointing out the artifice. You can see the artifice and the seams and because of it, you have to focus then on like the content of it. Yeah. You experience it in a, in a stranger, in a stranger way, which I wasn't expecting. And what I don't think was, was intentional at the time. Right. So you're reading, yeah. you talked a little bit about like your relationship with this. Um, you know, I uh, lecture at Humboldt State University. One of the many things I do with my academic time is study like culture. I have a podcast called The Alien Movie Project that this show is very much an extension of. And um, as far as the questions that I came in asking in terms of like, what are soldiers made of? How does the war look? How do they show us the war? What does realistic war look like? Right. Why do we fight? All three of these movies, Glory, Paths of Glory, and The Big Parade, have so much in common and also several very, very, like, key divergences in terms of, like, like, we were talking the other day about how, um, what, what forces them to go, and Colonel Dax and Paths of Glory is very much, like, forced over the hill. He has no choice, and Shaw in Glory signs up. He signs up for the suicide mission, and Jimmy Apperson in the big parade with world war one he just gets caught up in a, a beat he just gets swept up <laughs> a parade the, is just in the action so much of, fun that he's like everybody not. waving flags and 76 trombones going down the street a yeah. whole bunch of We're people not yet. holding bags right yeah what what makes a soldier there's lots of different versions of this and there's so many side characters we don't really have time to dig into that answer this in really fascinating ways that I'm excited to kind of unpack. I don't know. What was your, um, the, the, the first question I have for you before we kind of dig into some of the, the, the content was like, when you looked at these three movies, wh- like, what do you think they, do they say anything collectively about war? And if so, what is it? Well, it's interesting going, going all the way back to big parade, like a formative film. It, we're already seeing, portrayals of of different versions of of post-traumatic stress so when i guess when when i'm thinking of of people like praising praising films more modern films and their portrayal of it although i'll I'll, certain ways i'll defend it there's there's nothing new about it i guess i'm i was so surprised by that because and then you see it again in well, you see it again, and then in Paths of Glory in 1957, and I, you know, we're going to see it as we as we fill out our timeline some more. I have, I feel like, but it, it was interesting to see that it went all the way back, and then again with Glory. You know, I don't think I had seen Glory since I had grown up, and so I don't think I had read that as I don't think I had maybe recognized that trauma. Yeah. In Shaw. Did you as a kid? Yeah. I, I said that, mm. that that Glory, 1989's Glory, um, terrified me, but also made me want to be a soldier in so many ways. I, it, it like it informed my imagination of what a soldier is. And when that window shuts and he jumps and Searles is like, Robert, are you okay? Like that to me was like, he is traumatized. And you would be. You just saw someone's head explode like a watermelon. Like five minutes into the movie, they hit you with that. Mm-hmm. Robert, are you all right? Yes. And it's, um, we talked, we had a good conversation about how he's so frail and how I really kind of immediately took to that because if I was ever put in those circumstances, I don't think I could do anything. I think I would just shell up and hide. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not too proud to say I'm probably a coward. And, you know, like that spoke to me immediately. What do you think he, do you think that Shaw is is fighting for the same thing that his men are fighting for or do you think he's fighting just to redeem himself yeah oh it's okay you're that, shaking your head yeah when the the back episode on that all of our back episodes we, we we do a back episode for each of these movies so if you want to hear aaron and charles sit down and talk about this one movie for two hours just give a couple bucks to the patreon and that's where you're going to find all of that and it's really really good and we just try to take the highlights here for y'all but in the back episode we talk about the race politics we talk about how you had said following Denzel Washington's character through glory as the primary POV would be really fascinating. And I think it would that thought experiment really illuminates the distinction for what people were fighting for and why like Shaw is fighting for pride and ambition and like because of family pressure and all of that. And 
ever like we we talked about how the soldiers in the 54th Massachusetts are trying to liberate their kin in like very immediate circumstances. It's really really yeah. intense. We've neglected one small bit of business that I think you can do better mm. than me. Can you briefly summarize each of these movies um maybe like in chronological order just like just a quick Okay, nutshell. so let's see. The um the big parade in 1925 is mostly about uh, is mostly about Jimmy Apperson, um, and he is a rich kid who enlists in the war uh, to, I don't know, to get the approval of his friends and girlfriend and please his dad and do what every other patriotic person is doing in the United States, and then meets up with some good old working class guys in Slim, who is a riveter and um chewing tobacco spit and riveter the spit is crucial he's a smirking (laughs) the smirk also uh, tobacco chewing um (laughs) tobacco chewing um riveter and then who's the other guy what's the other guy's name bull bull yes bull is a uh is a glass washing um uh, bartender. Of course, he's he washing his glass as a bartender. It's a silent movie. A what else can you do to be like? I <laughs> am a bartender. Know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know what kind of bartender you're dealing with. By the way, they are polishing that glass. Exactly right. Um, bull is no bull, and <laughs> um, and so they all go to France and they have shenanigans. Um, they um, they try to sexually assault a French woman who seems like Pepe Le Pew Pew style um, for seemingly 75 minutes. But um, by this point in the war, France has been so devastated by, um, by casualties that Jimmy is looking like a great opportunity. (laughs) That's the Um, only possible explanation right now. (laughs) And so this woman falls in love with him. And then the next half of the movie is totally different. And it is a riveting combat um, portrayal that is completely bizarre. And, um, and then a very quick coda at the end portraying Jimmy coming back after watching his pals get killed. Right. Um, and dealing with his family over, overseas, his father going from shunning him to being sad at proud that he joined to being sad at his body and his mom going from fearing for him to just being grateful that he's alive. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's, yes. that's the big parade. And then we step forward that to 1957, Stanley, 1957. Kubrick. We have Stanley Kubrick's other world war one film. Um, this is paths of glory. And this is, uh, Kirk Douglas as Colonel Dax and Colonel Dax as being forced to bring his men over the top um, because if Colonel Dax doesn't do it, some other uncaring piece of shit is going to do it. And so they go and and go and attack a place called the Ant Hill. And a known Colonel suicide Dax mission. Everyone from the beginning to the end mission. of the movie says this is a suicide mission. There's no yeah, and the um, and they fail, of course, and um, and the only reason that it failed could possibly be because of cowardice. Um, so says the generals in charge, and so in order to to make an example, they decide to like Roman style decimate the unit, but instead. Oh, so there we go. Colonel Dax is able to bargain it down to three guys. Yep. Yep. Okay. So I, I change it. So he gets them a little bit of extra time and only three of his men are pointlessly killed. They're so, singled out for um, cowardice movie- to be executed by firing squad. Yeah. For failing so, to charge a known suicidal position. So the second half of the movie is like a court procedural, the most frustrating court procedural. And that I think informs long- a, um, a few good men a lot. And I had Ooh, no knowledge of yeah. that, but we'll probably get there and talk about it. That'd be interesting to yeah. see. I don't think I've ever seen a few good men. Well, it's probably because you can't handle the truth, Charles. <laughs> oh, God. We wrote that beforehand. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, so... And so this is it ends just this with is, gravity. The, the, the paths of glory, the path to glory at the end of this movie is really intense. It's very cynical. It's it it, it is a um, 
it is a very cynical it is explicitly an anti-war movie explicitly. and it seems and it seems to already be addressing established tropes in 1957 mm-hmm. Like it looks like a movie where you could see it as being, oh, addressing tropes from today or something. But it's like, wow, those tropes have already existed at 1957. And you can see, you can see and make arguments for it, which I think is why it's fun to watch a Stanley Kubrick movie for pretty much everything you see on the screen. Um, that is intentional in some way that he has probably put some consideration to it or a lot of consideration into like every shot and decision that's, that's made. Although I've read some very interesting things about, um, about why the, the battle scene is the way it is. And, um, the one actor getting fired because of, uh, being hard to work with and whatnot. (laughs) Um, in a movie that doesn't have a very large cast, you know, no. so it's a it's a very intimate movie. And I think um, probably the best of this bunch. No doubt. Yeah, uh, it's it really holds up and and it's surprisingly short. It's thank goodness. Really. <laughs> thank goodness. But it's like I, I blasted through it and it, it was it was really, really good. Yeah. Um, and then our final movie was Aaron's pick, which is glory. We went from Ed Zwick. Or sorry, from Stanley Kubrick, who has a very known kind of cynical approach to content, to Ed Zwick, who Charles and I have realized is pretty good and interested and good at making more movies. This is kind of the jam. <laughs> and and Glory, we said, was like it's like a religious experience. Glory frames war as a religious experience, whereas Paths of Glory is trying very explicitly to be an anti-war movie and Vidor said the big parade he had hoped it would be seen as a big as an anti-war movie glory has no such counter narrative glory positions war as an arguably wholesome and purifying and necessary and um you know the the word itself glory like uplifting glorifying process right is that i mean it's it's grim and it is terrifying and it um is is brutal I think we talked a lot about how glory, when when you can add content like like color and things like that, just the ability to tell the spectacle goes so many new places. The expressionistic style of Vidor did a lot to make war seem like otherworldly and kind of unreal at the same time as it was real. Whereas with Kubrick, we got what, what I would now call, in hindsight, it probably wasn't, but it, I would now call a fairly conventional war-looking like shot. And glory is that with just bursts of white color and red color and blue color. And it's, um, it's well, Kubrick's incredible. like doing like, he's, he's, he's like recreating actual, like what a war footage would look like if you had a dolly out right. there, you know, like right. if you could, if you could bring a camera out into the trenches, like that's what Kubrick is trying to right. do. Um, and then Vidor whether he intended it or not is making this incredible spectacle. Like, could you imagine like there was probably prints of that movie that existed where people were like hand tinting frames, like that war sequence would have been wild to see like color in that where, where it's actually somebody like watercolor tinting the frames of the movie. Um, and so then you get glory, which combines the two. It's like giving you the like gritty realism of the war, but then also giving you all of the like true, like wild spectacle of, of the earliest. Right. Um, and it comes together in a movie that's, I mean, it's very inspiring. It has numerous Academy Award nominations and wins to its name. We talked about how it's shown in history classes across the country um, it um, the cast is just a list of who's who from the 1980s. Uh, we've not mentioned the first two movies were about World War One. Glory is situated during the American Civil War, um, roughly 1863. The first um, all-black regiment um, of soldiers in the United States Army, the 54th Massachusetts, not made up primarily of runaway slaves and hard scrabble folks as the movie portrays, but more rather a fairly elite group of like educated and formerly employed free or freed people um it's we we don't get in much to like the politics of like you know the actual wars themselves and like what kicked them off we're very much interested in like the representational approaches of the filmmakers um but it, it it is very interesting and not incidental that like what the war is for 
the American myth, the American story is that that in part or in whole, this is about liber- liberating African-American folks from enslavement. And this movie is unabashed in in really like I would say exploiting that and being like, that's what makes this country great is that we did that. And that's a very twisted narrative. Uh, but there it is. So just thinking of it right now. So Glory um Glory clearly is is making a statement. Like even with the the text at the end, with the text at the end, it's saying that um that the the movies are um that that the sacrifice of that unit has like specifically like got their foot in the door to then pour in all of these other inspired people yeah. to then win the war and end slavery. More African-American soldiers in the Union Army at the end of the war than there were in the entire Confederate Army. Yeah. So um, so there, there's like a specific reason for it. And, and in, in the big parade, what was the reason we got for the war? We had a great Did conversation about how it is literally visually truncated. The news report is like Washington, D.C. Uh, the president has assembled his cabinet and, and that's it. That's all we get. There's nothing else to it. It's like it's on. It's going uh, over there, over there. Like that was it. Right. It just went straight there. I wonder, I mean, did people, how much did people in the United States, like, want to go over there? Like, how much did, I'm curious. We were famously very isolationist, right? We famously had, which is why you probably have to come up with a very happy and fun song that's like, oh, it's not so bad. Yeah, it's not so bad. Come on, America. Let's go over there. Let's go do it. You know, I mean, patriotism was high, but there was no desire to get involved in European wars. Hmm. And I but think, then, given the opportunity to fight, like, like it seems that people just like oh, immediately are activated in such a way. Like, I wonder if there's any truth to that to that parade, where people are like, "Oh shit, we're going to war! Hell yeah!" Yeah, it's no, not definitely. Like, well, because yeah. then we do, we didn't have a volunteer army like we did. Like you're always trying to, I don't know, right. It's strange. It's, no, the, it's such a the, weird. The role of the bandwagon I, is a political getting... one and a war promoting promoting one. You'll you'll hear references to the bandwagon both in terms of like like elect this politician, but also in terms of like getting people to sign up. It's a way that you can because people are going to follow a band. There was a time, children, where if you wanted to hear music, you had to have this thing called a musician, and that meant when a musician showed up, everyone in town would be like, "Oh my goodness, there's music going on," and they'd they'd all flock yeah, down. And wherever wild. the music went, especially if it was multiple musicians, people would follow that. And you could take them right to the recruiting station if you wanted. And if you played songs that were for boys and men and, and very boisterous and things, then that was how you could. And we talk about the we talk in the, the back episodes about like the drum is an instrument of war, is a weapon of war, is a fundamental tool in fighting wars. Um, it's fascinating. The last thing I wanted to mention mm-hmm. before we do like a deep dive on post-traumatic stress and the spectacle was how in Paths of Glory, the World War One movie and in... Um, glory the civil war movie we have these suicide charges and in each case mm-hmm. the the leader uh the colonel signs up says we're gonna do it but in paths of glory they're like forced to do it whereas in glory shaw is like literally doing it on purpose to to send that message to make a particular kind of statement and in each case it's interesting because it's about what kind of man you are the line that leads into Paths of Glory, it's like, well, if anyone can do it, we're the ones that can do it. Naturally, I don't want to relieve you, but I must have your enthusiastic support. Not once have you said that your men can take the anthill. We'll take the anthill. If any soldiers in the world can take it, we'll take the anthill. And that's not the same, like argument that Shaw is making but the outcome is the same where it is like we're exhausted and we're tired but it, like we're gonna do it we can do it we'll be ready sir when you need us it's Colonel Shaw isn't it yes sir you and your men haven't slept for two days that's right sir and you think they have the strength to lead this charge there's more to fighting than rest sir there's character their strength of heart. We'll be ready, sir. When do you want us? You get it? Like, we're those kinds of men. 
And it's about proving that you're that kind of man. And that kind of man is a warrior who's going to throw himself against a suicide position. They both make the same choice, but at different times. So it's in Paths of Glory, it's it's Colonel Dax saying, my men can't do it. And then his boss saying, oh, if you're too tired, then then I'll find somebody else to take your men and he'll and they'll do it. And he goes, no, 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 we'll do it then. And so he's he's obviously agreeing to personally do it only under duress because he's worried that somebody who truly, truly doesn't give a shit about his guys Mm -hmm. is just going to feed them into the machine in order to please his boss. Um, And then in Glory... There's the scene with the guy with the uh, with like the contraband troops, and um, and he makes that threat then to Shaw, where he's saying, you know, it's like order your men to burn the town down. Oh, if you don't do it, then I'm just going to relieve you of your command, and I'm going to put in some guy who's a truly bad slave master. Right. Fascinating. And so Shaw tells him to, um, to fire the town. So that's like. That's interesting. Yeah. So, okay. We want to talk about the ways. Here we go. Let me move my hand up and down in case you're talking more. Yeah. Okay. We want to talk about the ways that post-traumatic stress Mm -hmm. are represented in these movies and they're they're fairly nuanced. Where do you see it in the big parade and and like, what does it look like? What does it like feel like, I guess? I get the first time we see it in, in big parade. Well, we start seeing it, I guess, him getting traumatized immediately after Slim is is calling out on the battlefield which is like an hour and 30 minutes into the movie but yeah as soon as it starts then yeah he's like he's like pretty upset right off the bat that his that his pal has been gunned down and that he can't go out there and do anything about it right and um his all of right yeah all of all of jimmy's um combat like where he's not where he's where he's moving motivated on his own in combat and not just moving with the unit is because of the trauma of seeing his friend die right. and or or trying to to pointlessly save his friend and then um and then being i mean getting his other friend killed but strangely we don't see him like deal with no poor bull he's not too worried about yeah. bull it would seem but um and then we we see um a very good sequence of it um, in the hospital where we see like a guy actually like who has lost his mind strapped to a bed. Right. And freaking out. Right. Um, but, but Jimmy is, is feeling it the, the whole time I think as well, because he's, he's just like, I don't know, can't keep his mind. Can't keep his mind straight. Falls down in a manure pile and gets a staph infection or something in his leg. Right. It's a hideous. Uh, like there's should've a fully, longer should have shoveled that manure pile the right way. That's what they. That's what done. I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. Had they not? Had they done it? Uh, it's in Paths of Glory. We also see that um, with a recreation of a famous interaction with Patton, where Patton goes into a a field hospital and slaps a guy for for freaking out. Yes, have you got a wife? A wife? Did I get Sir, a wife? He's a bit shell-shocked. I beg your pardon, Sergeant. There is no such thing as shell-shock. Have you got a wife, soldier? My wife? My wife? Yes, I have a wife. I'm never going to see her again. I'm going to be killed. Get a grip on yourself. You're acting like a coward. I am a coward, sir. Snap out of it, soldier! Sergeant, I want you to arrange for the immediate transfer of this baby out of my regiment. I won't have other brave men contaminated by him. Yes, sir. Carry on, sergeant. And so we see, like, the the general do that with the guy in the trench and um, and banish him from the trench because because cowardice is... is um, Contagious. Uh, contagious, yeah. 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 It's, it's like in the uh, big parade when... The, the the post-traumatic stress that we see is Jimmy kind of losing his mind. Um, it's definitely Jimmy being very sullen and feeling distant from his family and not understood by his family when he comes back. 
Um, in this case, it's a brief little flash of a moment. It is so distant from the main character. It's some other person in the trench. I think the main character is arguably demonstrably traumatized by this movie. I just don't know that like rendering that that event is necessarily a priority. But we do see that moment and we do hear it explained. And this is something you hear in the military, apparently, that like it's contagious. People get other people afraid and other people scared. And he just decks him. He just takes him out. I wonder how much of that is allowed to be shown in a movie that is like specifically DOD funded. Yeah, I went looking through some of my texts and I know for a fact I found an article in the Alien Movie Project research about this that I was not able to dig up again um, where they talked about one of the reasons that the Hurt Locker was not given that funding is because it was so explicit about post-traumatic stress. And the DOD hmm. is willing to have you talk about it but when you look at the movies that are funded by DOD money that render post-traumatic stress, it is typically seen as some kind of like gentle form of suffering that the person just can get over, that they can get over. And I think Glory is an exceptional example of this. I don't know if it got DOD funding or not. It's not that explicit connection. But I would say that when we look at the last movie on our list for today, um, the, the uh, Glory is about the Civil War. And we talked about how Shaw witnesses the Battle of Antietam. He sees a man's head get blown up. He takes a piece of shrapnel in his neck and he basically lays down and hides until the, the battle ends. For God's sake, come on! And um, when someone shuts a window, it startles him and he like spills his juice. And then later he's watching his men pretend to fight as the, like when they just get their guns. And he does this kind of disassociative state where you hear the sounds of battle, including the sound of the man's head being blown up, being linked very explicitly to the kind of irreverence that they're showing towards battle. Absolutely. It has zero implication. The thought that Shaw would be the person blubbering, needing to get slapped is so far away from the plot of glory. He, in fact, you know, blows the sand out of his revolver, stands up, says, let's go 54 and gets killed at the end of the movie. He's just able to overcome it. Is his is his overcoming it in any way related to Jimmy climbing out and going after Slim? Um, in that instance, it's, um, it's interesting. Like, like he's, yeah. Do you think he's like seeing his men die all around him? Like as they're like pinned down and he's just like combat madness. He's not going after anyone. I mean, he is trying to take the fort and, and this, uh, arguably the sooner he takes the fort, the less of his men have to die, but they all know it's a suicide mission. And I don't know. It, it, I mean, it, it, to, Best me, to die running right and, as, as a viewer, like to me, that was always a very, it, that that moment like never made sense again like i'm not too proud to admit that i'm probably a coward i do not understand why someone in that situation stands up that way and leads the charge uh into death like i don't know like like why would someone do that charles what do you think i mean because i guess it's like you know it's like the d-day invasion right. right like you got to you can't just if you just stay on the beach you're gonna die you're certainly gonna die and at least you have a fighting chance. Is that the is that the the point? Is that you have to try? The point is that I mean, when we're riffing on here, is that his prior stress stress experiences do not incapacitate him as a soldier. Arguably, he gets better. He goes from a scene where he sees someone, where he witnesses someone getting killed, and takes a bit of shrapnel himself, to where he is facing down the barrel of cannons. They are rolling cannon shot down the hill onto him, and he's 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 able to stand up and say, "Let's go, fifty four, You know. Is the guy that he that gets cannonball head exploded at the beginning of Glory, is that the guy who would have had the rank that Shaw has when he grab, grabs the thing and runs up the... It's really fascinating because the line he says is, for God's sakes, come on, and then his head explodes. And then at the end of the movie, mm -hmm. Shaw says, let's go 54, and I'm pretty sure that's the last thing he says. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, that's worth chewing on. Hmm. We're running out of so time, Charles, like, yeah. but um, okay. we wanted also yeah. to talk about the ways that these movies kind of spoke to like the spectacle of war. The, the the back episode we have on Paths of Glory has a really good discussion about the role beauty plays and whether a beautiful movie that is explicitly anti-war can be as effective as, say, a more expressionistic movie that is explicitly anti-war. Um, you know, just what is your take on the ways that these movies render the realism of war? Like, what do you think about that? Uh, there's there, there's interesting things about it because with 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 the the um big parade you know it there's clearly limitations with the filmmaking but also like stuff that you're never going to get to see with the modern film which is like literally a thousand people on screen with biplanes flying over the top of them and stuff yeah. like that that's crazy it was um, it was big also, it was really big yeah like literally in that movie you will see a biplane go down the road so close to a bunch of dudes that it looks like it could bonk their helmets off with its propellers. Right. Like it's crazy and it's real. Um, and then you're also seeing multiple exposure, like grand battlefield shots that look like, I don't know, like bizarre paintings, you know, like it's, it's, it's truly a, a strange experience to watch it coupled then with, whatever um i got like this carl davis soundtrack yeah. on, on there that was that was just very very strange um but then when you go into into paths of glory you're getting like the polar opposite like you get no sound you get as much as they will let you um during the haze code you get men just getting pointlessly murdered. You never see a German shooting a gun and you never see somebody get to kill a German or anything like that. You just see people slaughtered in mud and killed. And it feels like more of an attempt to look like, like actual, like newsreel combat footage. Like there seems to be, and this is because I, I kind of have experienced more of Kubrick, but it seems when Kubrick shows war, he kind of tries to make it look more newsreel like hmm. specifically. And that's interesting. Yeah. And so we'll have to jump into it eventually, but it's how effective is that in making war seem like something you don't want to do, especially because that seems to be what his point is. Right. Mm -hmm. It's really that's a great point, and and I and having seen very little Kubrick movies, again, you said I haven't seen so many of these movies, and his war movies are many of them, and so I'm looking forward to testing this as we go forward. The way the news frames war is, you know, famously political, and anyone that tells you that the news is always anti-war or can always be anti-war doesn't understand the way that representing those politics work. It's it's very difficult to report on war without normalizing it, and a good news organization is going to understand that. And it, it does, it evokes the conversation we had before, Charles, about like when we normalize conventional standards of the way that a war looks in, in terms of even beauty, then that can potentially be counterproductive to how it operates. Like it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. And then what do you, I mean, he does. Yeah. He, he, he contextually phrases or book bookends that, that depiction of the war with, with your hero not wanting to do it. And then, and then your and then our heroes being like punished for something that they couldn't have done. It's like if glory had ended then with Shaw being put on trial or something, right, you know, right? it would have been, but that's <laughs> not what happens. What does the spectacle look like in glory, Charles? Like, how do you summarize um, the it? spectacle in glory? Academy award winning. Is, I mean, I mean, it's, it's definitely, it's Academy award winning and it makes it look like you should have, you know, the American flag behind you as you fight to end slavery. But we never see the Confederates. Like we see the that's what's also interesting yeah. is that we we see the Confederates only at a distance. A lot of faceless they're enemies. Faceless in these enemies. Yeah. They're faceless enemies. They don't really say anything except for for rebel whoops and right. yells. And the racism that we see portrayed only comes from people in the we union. We had a great conversation about white scapegoating and a deep dive into an article about how white scapegoating works to apologize for white supremacy. And it's just an incredible example of that. Um I wanted to touch really briefly on the, the takeaways I had for the, the kind of spectacle. The spectacle for the big parade, as you say, very much is about scale. It's about showing off the, 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 the sheer 
broad production power that's that's available in the 1920s that really has not been seen before and and the the famous scene where the the weird lovers i don't know why they are in love but they are apparently in love now and the scene where she is trying to find her soldier amidst all of the machinery of war is incredibly compelling even though the relationship is just hot garbage you know it's like that moment of production is like look at all the moving pieces and look at how helpless any two people are and and you know even in a silent movie that carries very evocatively to me and then when they a silent movie though that opens with a card saying thanks right. to the u.s military right. and this like base or whatever so right. so they at least yeah. back then they're gonna allow that amount of of ptsd portrayal but it also gave us that big old spectacle because because it's like you're never going to see that right that number of troops on the screen right like we were talking very rarely right before we hit record this is according to the internet movie database it seems like it cannot be true but this is what it says on the imdb the estimated budget for paths of glory a famously explicitly anti-war movie is around nine hundred and thirty thousand dollars of 1950s money that is a lot the earned, the gross worldwide earned listed on IMDb is $5,200. and That can't be right. The cost of – Right? Yeah. And this is where we talk about like if you want to have something that big and you don't want to pay for it out of pocket, you're going to have to get the DOD to show up. And if they're going to show up, they're going to have to look at that script and be like, well, who are we in this movie? And they're going to have a right. very explicit – And Stanley Kubrick famously – Strategic like, approach to Yeah. That. Stanley Kubrick famously left Hollywood and – and personally produced his movies because he can't stand like people right. having a say in anything he does. It's and so it's subtle like, things can be incredibly destructive and he understands that really well. You see it in his filmmaking, I think. Yeah. Um, so I'll be I'll be excited going through there and 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 looking at that, especially with these in contrast to to other films, you know, randomly side by side with right. it with it. So um can I mention two more things real quick on the spectacle that sure. we haven't gotten yeah. a chance to talk about? And it, it, they're both about sound. The first one is with um, the big parade. Do you know what kind of machine gun that is with the big round barrel and the little tiny thing coming out? It's the one that yeah, it should be like Maxim 1908 or something. When like it that. starts shooting, you see a little candle flame come out the front and the sound of it is just strings because, you know, they can't they do sound effects, but they in, in an actual like organ theater, you can't do that. And, and it's just going like, and we talked about how you know, we talked about how that is scary and it is effective. It does not sound like Saving Private Ryan, but it is yeah. it is scary and it is effective at, at establishing the rate of fire. Because then you fire. just watch like a line of people fall over yeah. from it too. Exactly it's like, right. Yep. And then it's like a whole bunch of guys fall over. It it's establishes like, a rate of fire. It establishes a mortal threat. It establishes all sorts of things very, very effectively. And that's part of producing that spectacle. And then when it comes to sound politics, personally, I'm going to really feel bad if I don't make everyone here just listen to a little bit of the soundtrack from Glory. Charles, you're going to have to pretend like you're listening to the soundtrack from Glory because we can't mm. actually listen to it. I mean, I can it. practically right. hear it because the it's The three like drops legendary. that I want are very, very quick. The first one is just the music you hear at the very, very beginning. You hear this kind of lone horn and you hear this like snare drum and it just brings me right to my youth and it does. It makes me want to sign up and enlist. So here's that. second sound drop that I want to put in here is what you hear at the end. 
They have just charged the fort. Almost everyone is dead in a pit. The Confederate flag waves among, you know, the, the happy Confederates atop Fort Wagner. The credits, you know, we get an epilogue that's like the Union ultimately won the war thanks to the sacrifice. And then you hear this music. like we're moving forward we did it it's working and um the last one i want to listen to and again we said that this is all very evocative of like a religious experience to us right like this movie is a religious experience this is the one that you hear a lot you see it a lot in trailers it's a direct rip um from carl orff's carmina barana obviously but for those of you that haven't heard it it's worth a listen this is the soundtrack when they charge fort wagner at the peak of act three so exciting it's so scary it makes you want to run among the dunes and dodge explosions and it also just makes you so fearful in all three of these movies we see mannequins flying through the air in the big parade one falls directly on its head out of a tree in paths of glory one gets a a, a solid split second on screen before it's blown skyward uh Mm -hmm. and in the wagner scene of glory the height that they get when they're launching those folks the other note we got to make real quickly that you talked about in the big parade is that those explosions look real. Like they, they're, they're, they're probably far more dangerous than the explosions that you would see in glory. They're moving way more. Dirt. Right. It's obvious. Yeah, in glory, you know, it's like a, a, an air mortar with, with, you know, some sand and, and mulch on it. Right. And my God, in big parade, I just feel like back in that early area, they're not really doing that and that they're just literally, like guys maybe who worked at in mines right. or something who are just using dynamite right. or just like it military surplus wild. explosives, right? Like whatever they're no, totally. Right? Yeah. Well, it was a really fascinating look at three movies, Charles, you're going to be in charge of picking the batches going forward. So there's always going to be a plan for the three movies, but the goal is to kind of let that plan evolve organically between us. So you're not really going to tell us what the plan is for the next batch. But you are going to tell us what the first movie is of the three that we're going to watch. Do you want to just very briefly pitch that and tell us what you want about that movie? Absolutely. The first movie is going to be... Our first batch was uh, Glory, Paths of Glory, and The Big Parade. The first movie of the second batch is going to be... We're going to start it off. Uh, We're going to bounce over to uh, 1964 
for Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, directed by Stanley Kubrick. I've never seen it. This? It's a classic. Uh, Aaron, you're going to love this. I saw this first as a little kid and got none of it. And this is also an hour and 35 minutes. I love it. That's my kind of war movie right there. A buddy of mine is visiting a um, really good friend of mine, Jason, and he and I were talking about this project when we were camping last night, and I told him we watched a Stanley Kubrick movie from 1957, and he's like, nuh Like, Kubrick was making movies in, like, the 60s and 70s. I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, I didn't know that either, but it's it's we're going to get a lot of Kubrick, I think, and um, it'll be, like, we're not just going to dwell on Stanley Kubrick in this project, but we're definitely going to spend some time there. So um, I'm looking forward to it, and I think the comparison between that movie and Paths of Glory should be really, really fascinating, so... Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. Well, thanks to folks that listened. Cool. Um, as y'all know, we're not pr- producing weekly content, so you're just going to have to stay tuned. I think we have a close, but um, I don't know what it is yet. I don't know what it is. Well, you know what it is? It's my drop, which will just be the uh, ending music to Paths of Glory. There you go. Um, and then you can, I guess, listen to our show on uh, Patreon. about the narrative and effective politics of war movies and their productions too. Charles Horgan and Aaron Donaldson bring you a brand new podcast, The Real War Project. Dip in and out of subjects with Lauren and Sarah's irreverent points of view with the hilarious podcast, Dippers. Catch up with the week's pop culture news as well as reviews of new movies and shows, not to mention the occasional interview with Carl, Brandon, and Biggs on Not Safe for Network. Wrestlers wrestle, but sometimes they make movies too. This podcast lets you know how they do. Listen to Eric and Connor in all three seasons of Movies with Wrestlers. One by one, Jeremiah and Biggs break down influential movies and some wretched ones too in the podcast you can't miss, A Cosmic Void. 